Welcome to episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101, the foundations of our Catholic faith. These episodes originally premiered on YouTube. You can find the original video linked in the description to this episode, as well as a discussion guide for your benefit and whoever you might be listening with. A friendly reminder and invitation to please, if you have not yet done so, please rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it. It's such a great way to get this podcast out there and for you to share it with others. But remember, the highest compliment you could pay this podcast and myself is to share this episode or any episode on social media. And you can do that by simply posting it on your story or tagging us in a post. At Mana Food for Thought is our Instagram handle. At Mana F4T is our Twitter and our Facebook page is just Mana Food for Thought. You can find all of that on our website, manafoodforthought.com, as well as all of our previous content. And if you'd like to become a financial sponsor for as little as $1 a month, you can do that by clicking on the Patreon tab on our website. If you have not yet done so, I really want to invite you to check out our friends at Thrive Coffee. It's Coffee with a Mission. Their website is drinkthrive.org, and they are a nonprofit craft coffee roaster in Richmond, Virginia. They use coffee to create careers and training opportunities for individuals with disabilities. Uh, they ship nationwide. Their beans are locally roasted in small batches. They make blends, and three bags sold pays for one hour of work for their differently abled employees. So go to drinkthrive.org, buy a few bags, and if you use promo code MANA, M-A-N-N-A, at checkout, you will get 15% off your first order. With that being said, enjoy the next installment in episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101. Enjoy. This episode contains some mature content regarding sexual morality, so parental discretion is advised. When I was in college, I was in charge of an organization on campus. And one of the things that we would do was we would raise money by creating a little student store in the building that our organization had an office in. Now at the end of the year, we realized someone had taken several hundred dollars from the register in our student store. And I was so upset that I went out and I got a lock and a latch and I attached it to the door so that no one who had previously had a key could get in. Well, obviously I couldn't do that. I didn't own the building. It was a university. And so I got a call, sure enough, from the facility manager the next day because I didn't have permission. They needed access to that room for emergency access. And so because they needed access, they had to remove the latch. And when they removed the latch, there were holes that were left. But because there were holes left, they needed to worry about asbestos because there was asbestos in the building. And because there was asbestos, they possibly needed to remove the entire door and frame. And who was going to have to pay for all of that? This guy. And so thankfully it ended up working out that it got remedied another way. But that one action created this ripple effect that I obviously did not foresee. Now the same thing is true on a larger scale in the world that we live in. As Pope St. John Paul II said, as the family goes, so goes the nation and so goes the whole world in which we live. So how we are as family affects society and the rest of the world. Family in the Catholic sense is the building block of the structure of society. That is why the other sacrament at the service of communion, other than holy orders, is the sacrament of matrimony. Because once you're a baptized Catholic, you're actually bound by law 
the law of the church to get married in the church because marriage is a very specific extension of your baptismal mission, your mission to fulfill the priestly, prophetic, and royal offices of Jesus Christ, which is to share the gospel with the world, to serve others, and to create communion, sacrament at the service of communion, to create that community that benefits the world and has a positive ripple effect into society. There is a mission to marriage. Now, I know society treats marriage with this mentality that two people complete each other and that you have to go find your soulmate. Listen to me, everyone has a soulmate, but his name is Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can fulfill you, complete you, and make you happy in all the ways that you're looking for. One imperfect person cannot suddenly make things perfect for another imperfect person. That's too much pressure to put on another person, and that is unfortunately a big reason why so many marriages fail. People approach marriage with this mentality of what they can get or how it will make them feel. Instead, we're meant to think of what we can give, how we can lay down our life for our spouse and join together in our common mission to pursue heaven and pursue holiness. So marriage, the equation of marriage, is not a half a person plus another half a person coming together to complete one another and making a whole couple. No, it is as it says in the Bible, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife and the two become one body. In marriage, it is no longer I and me. Now it is only us and we. Two becoming one. When we go to a funeral, we're celebrating life. We celebrate the life of the person who has passed and try to remember what they left behind. But when we go to a marriage, we're actually celebrating death. We celebrate the fact that two people are dying to themselves, dying to selfishness, to independence, to their own plans, and they are being risen anew together as emerging as a new creation, a new couple, a new family. Now, it does not suddenly become happily ever after. Happily ever after is heaven. Disney kind of ruined our idea of marriage. And so, like, if you wake up, listen, if you wake up in a glass box in the middle of a wood, in the woods, with a stranger kissing you, like, you don't marry them. You run away. Like, that's... <laughs> so, if you're waiting for Prince Charming, Mr. or Mrs. Wright, to come and sweep you off your feet, that's a good desire to have, but you have to recognize that person is Jesus. He is our happily ever after. Marriage is hard. Well, let me correct that. Marriage is really, 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 really hard, and that is if you actually love the other person. <laughs> That's why my favorite quote about having a healthy approach to dating and to marriage goes something like this. Run as fast as you can toward Jesus. If someone catches up to you running that same race, Stop and introduce yourself, and then keep running together. My job as a husband and a father is to sacrifice, lay down my life for my family so that they will become saints and get to heaven. This sacrament of marriage is one of service to create communion, togetherness, unity toward a common goal, which is heaven. So what is a sacrament? Say it with me. A visible sign instituted by Christ and entrusted to the church to give grace. So what is the visible sign of marriage in the church? Well, the bride and the groom, they're actually the ministers of the sacrament. They are a visible sign. It's not the priest. The priest is actually just there to witness the marriage in the Latin rite in the Roman Catholic Church. 
The bride and the groom are the ones offering themselves to one another as visible signs of unity. They also exchange visible signs such as rings and other symbols or, or rituals from many different cultures that can help virtually represent, not virtually, visually represent the joining of two people together. Now a marriage in the Catholic Church has to have four characteristics in order for it to be a valid Catholic marriage. So those are, it must be free, total, faithful, and fruitful. What does free mean? Well, it means that the marriage cannot be coerced, pressured, forced, or arranged against anyone's will. This must be a free choice on both parties. The Catechism says, the consent by which the spouses mutually give and receive one another is sealed by God himself. When you get married in the church, you actually have to go through a preparation process. It takes several months. And part of that, toward the beginning, is a private interview with each person by the pastor or the marriage prep coordinator, making sure that they are freely able to enter this union together. So I don't know if you've ever heard of the phrase a shotgun wedding, where uh, a couple um, gets pregnant before they get married and there's a sense of like there's a shotgun being held that they have to do the appropriate thing and get married. Well, actually, theologically speaking, a priest should tell that couple to actually wait to get married because rushing into a marriage could show that they're not freely entering into it in the same way that they would have if the circumstances were different. So we want to make sure that we are actually thinking this through and entering into the marriage freely. So that's free. The marriage must also be total. The bride and the groom must be willing to give all of themselves, ready to give of their entire lives, good and the bad, to their, their spouses and receive that from one another. There can't be things that are held back or kept secret. It's important to have these conversations, many of which come up in marriage prep, things like money, debt, addiction, family romantic history, health, approaches to discipline and raising children, important conversations that can't be had after the fact. That way each person knows what they're getting into and can authentically vow to love, honor, and serve and be faithful to their spouse. You actually have to get affidavits signed by people who can verify that you are who you say you are and you are representing yourself authentically so that you are uh, giving a total gift of yourself to the spouse. So free, total, and faithful. The Catechism says that the marriage bond has been established by God himself in such a way that a marriage concluded and consummated between baptized persons can never be dissolved. We're faithful to one another until death. That obviously means there's no infidelity, no cheating, no adultery. They are your person, no backsies. Like, that's it. Um, this also involves being faithful to the baptismal obligation we have to be married in the church. A sacramental marriage between, is between two baptized Catholics. However, a baptized Catholic and a baptized non-Catholic, which is what we would call a mixed marriage, can also be sacramental. But here's something that the Catechism says about that. But the difficulties of mixed marriages must not be underestimated. They arise from the fact that the separation of Christians has not yet been overcome. The spouses risk experiencing the tragedy of Christian disunity even in the heart of their own home. That's because when you're married in the church, the bride and the groom make a commitment to baptize and educate their children in the Catholic faith. There are a lot of parenting and family choices that come up for debate and potential disagreement when you're from two different faith traditions. So it can be very difficult, or it can also be a rich, blended, beautiful tapestry of different religions and cultural experiences. But ultimately, we need to be faithful to one another and faithful to what the church says marriage is. 
And lastly, it has to be fruitful. Speaking of raising children, every marriage must be fruitful, meaning that it is open to life. So in the Catholic sense, if you're not ready to have kids, you're not ready to get married. When two people are married, they form what is called the domestic church, a church in the home where the purpose of marriage is lived out. What is that purpose? We see in the Catechism once again, by its very nature, the institution of marriage and married love is ordered to the procreation and education of offspring, and it is in them that it finds its crowning glory. So the purpose of marriage is to unify the couple, that they'll fulfill their baptismal obligations together, and that they'll have children. Um, this is why the church has a lot to say about sexual morality. God created us in his image, meaning that every person has dignity and value. Because we're meant to have such respect and honor for all human life from the moment of conception until natural death, we must then also have respect and honor for the act that creates life, sex. God created marriage and God created sex. He was not up in heaven creating two different creatures with parts that fit together saying, man, I really hope they never figure this out. Like, whoopsies. Like, no, that's not. God was intentional. We need to look no further than our very biology. In fact, when two people enter into the sexual act, their bodies actually emit a hormone called oxytocin, and that's called the bonding hormone. It's also emitted in a mother's body when she gives birth to her children. And what it does is it chemically joins individuals together. It bonds them. This is how we're built. We are not designed to sleep around, to bond with whoever. When we do, our receptors of that hormone become inhibited, and we can actually lose the ability to bond with other people. So think of it this way. If I put a piece of tape on my arm and I rip it off, it will hurt because the glue has bonded to my arm. But if I use that piece of tape over and over and over again, it will lose the ability to stick. We're the same way. We're designed biologically to be faithful to our spouse for life, to stick with them, to stick to them and with them once and for all. That's why the church teaches against certain things, cohabitation, living together before marriage, premarital sex, contraception, condoms, birth control, adultery, divorce, pornography, masturbation, because they all involve or invite an abuse of the ways our bodies are designed. How God intended for us to be joined to one another in marital relationship. It's not about doing it because it feels good or using another person for pleasure. A marriage is a covenant. It's an exchange of persons. That's made obvious in the act of sex. It's an extremely vulnerable act that changes the chemistry of your body, bonds you to another person. Imagine if you glued two pieces of paper together and then after it dried, you, you tried to slowly peel them apart. That's what happens basically when we enter into that act and then we break, break it off. We lose a piece of ourselves that we'll never get back and it's painful. It should not be entered into lightly. God loves you and wants you to be free, to have the best relationship possible, the best marriage and the best sex possible. The teachings of the church on these issues, they're not meant to confine or oppress us. They're meant to set us free and experience life and relationship and marriage as he designed them to be experienced. Free, total, faithful, and fruitful. Now, if any one of those four qualities is not present, the marriage is actually considered invalid and it could be annulled. Um, so an annulment is basically a declaration saying that one of those four qualities was absent and it was not a valid sacramental marriage. 
says in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, unless the marriage is, in, is unlawful and marries another, commits adultery. So for a marriage to be unlawful, that means there has to be an impediment, something that was standing in the way of a free, total, faithful, or fruitful, valid marriage from taking place. Now, if that becomes obvious, the marriage can either be annulled or it can be convalidated, meaning made valid together. If someone got their marriage blessed, uh, that's what that means. But it wasn't just getting it blessed. Their marriage actually becomes a sacramental marriage in the church. So we do all of this and we obey all these teachings and practices regarding marriage because this sacrament was instituted by Christ and entrusted to the church. Some Pharisees approached Jesus and tested him saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause whatever? He said in reply, have you not read that from the beginning the creator made the male and female and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh? So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no human being must separate. They said to him, then why did Moses command that the man can give the woman a bill of divorce and dismiss her? He said to them, because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. From the mouth of Jesus, the Bible tells us that divorce was not part of God's plan. And yet it's a very prevalent and painful reality for many people. It only takes one person to get a divorce. And so some people, through no fault of their own, find themselves in violation of this teaching of Jesus. And so I wanna tell you, if you or someone you love has been divorced, there's a place for you in the church. God loves you and he wants you to be made whole. The fact that Jesus preaches against divorce means that he doesn't want this for us, but he still wants us. He wants you and you belong to him. You're not bad, wasted, or spoiled. You are his beloved child. So if a marriage ends in divorce and that union was not free, total, faithful, or fruitful, that marriage can be annulled and the person is free to marry in the church, but they have to go through a certain process. So if you have questions about that uh, or how to go about getting an annulment for someone you know or for yourself, contact or have them contact your local parish and talk to the pastor. Now, how do we know this is meant to be something the church is even involved in? Well, when Jesus talks about determining if a marriage is unlawful, he's talking about a religious law. And who else can enforce and regulate a religious law but a religious institution? That's why we have the sacrament of matrimony and why it is regulated in these ways by the church for the good of God's children. And lastly, a sacrament gives us grace. Grace is God's very life in us. A marriage is referred to in scripture as a three-plied cord, a man, a woman, and God braided, intertwined together. That God is the creator and in marriage, we become co-creators with God. We can create new life. So in the Catholic understanding, as I said, if you're not ready to have children, you're not ready to get married. Not being able to have children is not the same as not being open to life. Miracles can happen. Adoption is an option. There are many ways to live out the fruitfulness of life in a marriage, but an openness to life is always needed. So as a result, the church doesn't support certain fertility treatments like in vitro fertilization because it involves the creation of many different embryos, distinct human lives with their own genetic code, with the intention of allowing most of them to die in the hopes that one will implant. The end does not justify the means, so having an openness to life cannot involve a process that does not protect life at the same time. But we don't just get married uh, so we can have sex carelessly and not worry about the consequences. Marriage is an expression 
uh, is, well, it's not an expression or right based on how we want to express our sexuality. It's a divine calling and a mission that's ordered toward creating new life and unifying a husband and wife. So it's for that reason that the church doesn't support homosexual acts or same-sex marriage. Because in the Catholic sense, marriage is a sacrament, which is a covenant with a specific nature and requirements that a homosexual union, by definition, would not be able to fulfill. So it does not mean that homosexual individuals are not capable of love. It means that the nature of the sacrament is ordered towards something specific. Now, I want you to hear this as well. The, the LGBTQ plus community, uh, they belong in heaven. God loves them. Maybe you're hearing this and you are struggling with your own sexual identity. I want you to know that God loves you. You were made for him. You belong in heaven. And there is a place for you in the church. We can disapprove of or disagree with certain acts or lifestyles, but we are still called to treat others with love, compassion, the mercy of Jesus Christ, to share the gospel with them, and to welcome them into our faith communities, because we're all sinners in need of a Savior. So if we exclude anyone, we would have to exclude everyone, because we all need him equally. If you have not been treated mercifully, or with love by people who claim to be acting in the name of Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that those people used his name in vain that way. Know that you are a beloved child of God and he has a mission, a purpose, and a plan for your life. So in the sacrament of marriage and the sexual act within that sacrament, the two elements of unity and openness to life must always be present in the sexual act. Catechism says the matrimonial covenant by which a man and a woman Establish between themselves a partnership for the whole of life is by its nature ordered toward the good of the spouses and the procreation and education of offspring. This covenant between baptized persons has been raised by Christ the Lord to the dignity of a sacrament. So things like even using a surrogate would not be approved of in the church because it separates the unitive and procreative acts of sex. So does that mean the church wants us to have a million kids? No. The church actually endorses and recommends a fertility practice called natural family planning or NFP. My wife and I use it, many people use it. It's not some medieval method, it's a scientifically researched and technologically backed, medically proven method. There are a few different models of it, but basically they all involve tracking a woman's cycle, even if there are irregularities, to confidently determine when she's fertile and infertile. And then a married couple can use that information prayerfully to discern are we ready to have a child or not? Now, if they read something wrong or make the wrong decision and a surprise happens, they're always open to life. But this way, nothing foreign is introduced into the body. There's no chemical changes happening um, by artificial means. The act of sex happens in the way it was designed to happen, by God, naturally. And the unitive, procreative elements of a fruitful marriage are always present. We're never withholding the gift of our parenthood. Otherwise, if a couple's not ready to have children and there's a time of fertility going on, they practice chastity and they experience love and connection in a non-sexual way. So if you're interested in finding out more about that, I encourage you to look up natural family planning practitioners near you or contact your local parish or diocesan office for information about that. But it's important to realize that in the context of marriage, relationships, we talk about these issues, love and sex are not the same thing. We see them combined in entertainment, movies, television. They're glamorized like it's normal to live that way. But it only leads to heartache and difficulty. 
when we realize that love is a mission, an action, a choice that is lived out between couples in the context of marriage and by anybody, we realize that relationship is so much more than the things we do together. It's not about earthly pleasures, it's about a heavenly pursuit. And that is the basic mission that we all have, to love God, love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So run as fast as you can toward heaven. And whatever vocation you are called to, recognize that Jesus is the goal. Persevere in that race, and you will find incredible relationships along the way. Marriage is not the goal, heaven is the goal. And if you keep that goal in mind, and you're called the marriage, you will find an incredible one with purpose, joy, and adventure that puts all of those Hallmark movies and romance novels to shame. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus every day, following him faithfully. He gives himself to us. He laid down his life in love for us, his bride, the church. So it is up to us to live in such a way that we mean it when we say back to him, I do.